Last week I said that this isn't, when you come here, you don't come to church. You come and meet with the church. And when you leave, you take the church with you. A couple weeks ago, we got a card in the mail that shows how the church is supposed to work. It says, Dear Pastor, Hello, my name is, and I won't say her name, I work at the Cracker Barrel in Waynesboro. Members of Calvary Baptist Church came to Cracker Barrel one evening for dinner and were very rude to me. No, it doesn't say that. Somebody got nervous just then. Here's what it really says. Members of Calvary Baptist Church came to Cracker Barrel one evening for dinner and blessed me with their generosity. I just wanted to thank God for wonderful people like them. Thank you, and she signed it. That's the church at work, folks. Did you know over 17,000 people through social media have heard about Roman Road? Did you know that? Through Facebook, 17,000. Out there are cards you can take and distribute in the community. Close to 400 people in here. If everybody took and distributed 20 of them, it'd be whatever that would be, 8,000 people. <laughs> hey, I preach. I'm not a mathematician. I'm here to tell you. We are to be the body. And uh, last week, I had about three times the amount I wanted to say than I did say. Now, I want you to look back in chapter 1 just for a moment as we come into this today. That last song we sang, oh man, that was the message for today. But it says here that what Christ did, and I want you to notice something. His name is above every name, that his name, not only in this age, is one to come. He's overcome Satan and all the powers of this world. Verse 22, and he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church. And notice the last verse, which is his body, the fullness of him. Who fills all in all. I, I want you to see this very clearly as we go into today's message. And so I'm going to back up just to say this so you can see it. Jesus is the head of the body. We kind of got to that part last week. And what the head says is what the body does. The body cannot act without the head. And if the head gives a command, the body does not act. There is a real serious problem in there. There's paralysis. There is an injury. There is a sickness that does not allow a head to communicate to its body. And sometimes the body doesn't act because we ignore the head. Sometimes the body doesn't act because we're not listening to the head. But it's a real tragedy when the head speaks and the body does not respond. But I want you to think about that for a moment. And, and I don't mean to be gross, and so don't, don't let your imagination run wild. But can a body operate without a head? Can a head operate without a body? And the answer is no. The answer is obviously no. Neither one can survive without the other. You say, and Jesus couldn't survive without his body? I would not dare say that. That's what he said. That we are the fullness of him. Did you catch that? Did you catch that? Some of you are going, yeah, I'm a little kind of uncomfortable. When Jesus came, he didn't swoop in with a big Superman suit on. He came in the most helpless human form as a baby. Just to get us to begin to realize how much he wants to identify with us. And he says the church is his body. Notice whose body it is. Whose is it? Oh, it's not the pastors? See, y'all can say amen to that. It's not the deacons? 
It's not the member that's been here for 60 years. So we don't get to pick, do we? We are the body. He's the head. But he so identifies with us, we fill him up. And why would Jesus want to identify with a bunch of people like us? I don't know about you, but if everybody was like me, we might not be in such a good spot. We need each other, right? That's a good question. Ask yourself, if everybody in church was like me, what would the church look like? So that's why he's got many parts, because it takes all of us. But we are his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. He fills us, he enables us, he strengthens us. But man, why would Jesus choose such a weak body? I mean, really. So obviously... You know, they've proven that no matter your age, whether you've ever exercised or not, if you start exercising at any age, your health will improve. Did you know that? Did you know that? Okay, thank you. I don't ask these questions just to hear myself. I want to know that you've heard that. And the more you move, the less likely you are to quit moving. And the less you move, the less likely you are to ever start moving. If the body, and the Bible tells us to exercise ourselves to godliness, right? So the church ought to be doing its work because the more we do its work, the work that God calls us to do, the better off we'll be. The more healthy we'll be. Sorry, I've messed up my mic. The more healthy we'll be, the more we move and operate, right? I want you to get that point because I want you to see even further how much Jesus identifies with us. But I want to start with you understanding where you started from. Because like I said, if you're like me and you've been going to church since nine months before you were born, you may not have known this. And this is the first thing I want you to, and I want you to take this home with you today. Go ahead, brother. I, I sent it up there late. Next slide. There it is. You are radically lost until you are radically saved. And there is no in-between. Now, you don't really understand that. Because we say that, well, he's a good boy. I just wish he'd come to church. No, he's lost. You're either radically saved or you're radically lost. You're either living for Jesus or you're not. The disciples came to Jesus and said, hey, these guys over there, they're talking about you. We told them to be quiet. They don't tell them to be quiet. If you're not for me, you're against me. And if you're for me, you're for me. If you're against me, you're against me. There is no gray matter with God. You are radically saved or you are radically lost. And there's no in-between. You can't be good enough. That's what we're going to see here in a moment. You cannot be good enough. You cannot be bright enough. You cannot do enough to be good enough for God. And apart from Him, really, we can't even be good. And so, here's how the Bible says it. And I'm going to read ten verses. You can stand up with me. And and we'll do that. Time is already getting away from me. So let me get into it. And you were dead... In the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, love that, it's the glorious bud of the Bible right there in verse 4, Ephesians 2, 4, but God 
being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved and raised us up with him. I want you to notice that. And seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness Toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not of works. Not a result of works. So that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. Which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God bless your word please. Amen. Y'all be seated. I want you to see this. Look at, first of all, I want you to see you were born dead. We get the impression that we are born alive and then we die. And the opposite is true. We are born dead and then we find life. Now, I'm speaking spiritually when I say that. Of course, a baby born is born alive and he's breathing and healthy. We're talking about a baby that, that survives all of that. And, and you understand that. But you are completely dead without Christ. And you are born in that state. And if you don't believe me, read Psalm 139. And the Bible says that right here. We inherit a sin nature from our dad, Adam. And we are born in that sinful state. We think that a child grows up and he lies, he becomes a liar. He steals, he becomes a thief. He commits immorality, becomes an adulterer. The fact is, he was already a thief and a liar and an adulterer. And it shows out when we don't know Christ and we live in this world according to the ways of this world. This word dead here is the word necros in Greek. You know that word. When you get, uh, when blood is cut off from a part of the body, we say it necrotizes. It dies. The flesh dies. That is the disease of leprosy, that the skin is necrotizing on a living body, and it's weird, and it's horrible, and it's, it's, it's terrible. But it can happen. And he says, you are necros, you're dead. You say, well, why is that so important, Pastor? Why do you seem so passionate about that? Because I don't think we think about that. What does it mean to be dead? It means you don't respond. You're laying there in the coffin. My dad died in 1994. I remember going up the coffin and seeing him lying there. The body lying there. He's dead. And he's not moving. And if I looked at my father and said, Daddy, thank you. He would not look at me and go, you're welcome, son. Because he couldn't hear me. If I said, Dad, I love you. He could not say, I love you too, son. Because he's dead. He can't respond. As a pastor, I've been there. I've been in the homes before. Those good folks who take care of, of those of our families that go on to eternity have arrived. And I've sat there with the family and I've seen wives kiss a dead husband. And that husband not respond in any way because he's dead. Now I'm not trying to be cruel or ugly or mean. But we so often say, well you see, salvation is like this. I offer you, let me, get, let me take off something nice. See this nice watch? I want to give that to you. What do you have to do to receive it? Oh, I've got to reach out and take it. Well, that's good. Only there's a problem. You're dead. So number one, you can't appreciate what I'm offering you. Number two, you can't hear the offer. Number three, you can't exercise your muscles 
to take it. You are dead. And if I wanted to give this watch to a dead man, that's a hopeless thing because he can't take it. Because he's dead. By the way, a dead man gave me this watch. A friend of mine named Ken Jackson. That's his watch. He gave it to me. So I got my watch from a dead man, but I can't give it to a dead man because he doesn't know. Do I need to make a bigger point? Jesus, God offers you salvation. There's only a big, there's a big problem here. You're dead. You are dead. You see, a dead man's greatest need is life. And he's so dead, he doesn't even know that. Dead men don't know they need life because they're dead. Maybe this is the first time you thought about this. Maybe you're uncomfortable with me talking about death. I kind of grew up in a big family. De- death was pretty common because so many relatives, various ages. Some people are very old before they ever experience a family member dying. I, I can't remember a time I didn't. And then I've been a pastor for many, many years, and I've dealt with this a lot. Folks, my daddy used to tell me when I was a little boy, we were born dying, and every day we live is one day closer to the day we go to be in eternity. My dad was teaching me the number of my days when I was a little boy sitting on the counter watching him shave, telling me things like that. And today, when this day is over, you're one day closer to meeting Jesus, if you make it to the end of today. Because you may, you, God didn't promise you the next heartbeat or the next breath. And you ought to celebrate every heartbeat and every breath you take in. You ought to breathe in God and breathe out blessing to others. Breathe in God. Breathe out witnessing. Breathe in God. Breathe out mercy. Breathe in God. Breathe out grace. Because that is who is giving you that air. But spiritually speaking, you're born dead. And dead men can only do what dead men can do. Look what it says in verse It says we are dead in these ways that we once walked in this world, following the prince of the power of the air. I want you to notice that. Because if you remember in chapter 1, it's talking about Jesus. It says he has been given this name above all rules and authority and power and dominion. And 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 we understood that in the Jewish mind, that's talking about... The wicked rulers of, uh, of the Satan's kingdom. And in chapter 2 he turned around and says. And that's whose kingdom you were following. You were walking in the world following the prince of the power of the air. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Among whom we all once lived in the passion of our flesh. Carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And were by nature. By nature. By nature, children of wrath. You were born in the image of Adam. And God looks upon Adam and his sin and says that must die. And you're already dead. Like the rest of mankind. In other words, you're not responsive to typical stimuli. You're only responsible, responsive to the stimuli of the dead. You're following Satan's... Wait, remember what Jesus told him? I do the will of my father. You do the will of your father, the devil. You're either radically saved or you're radically lost. There is no such thing as a free man. You're either a slave to sin or you're a slave to righteousness. Choice is who, which one's going to be your master. Who's going to be the boss of your life? Who's going to be the master of your life? 
And the Bible says when we're, when we're lost, we are dead in our trespass and sin. Our boss is Satan. And there's nothing we can do. And no one es- escapes that. There is no exception to that. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord's laid on Christ the iniquity of us all. The Bible says there's none that seeks after God. There's none that does righteousness. The very nature that we were born with causes us to flee God, to run away from his presence, to not want to see him. I come from that part of the country where we nicely say that we have palmetto bugs. Some of y'all been there because you giggled. For those of you who never got off the mountain, let me tell you what a palmetto bug is. It's a cockroach about this big. All right? It's actually about that big, but he seems that big. All right? And they like to get up in palmetto trees, so they start calling palmetto bugs. But we have these big roaches down in Charleston. And you can go in the nicest restaurant in Charleston, and you may see one because you cannot eradicate those rascals. They are rough. But I grew up in the neighborhood. We had pecan tree. My mom, them, they would put pine straw. Uh, you can tell I'm a son or mom and them. Put pine straw into that pecan tree. And you know what palmetto bugs like? I'm going to use the nice word so I don't gross everybody out. They like warm, moist places. So you could lift that stuff, man, cockroaches all under there. And we had a little shed out there. And we had an old freezer out there. My mom kept... We'd go buy bread from the day-old store because we didn't have a lot of money. So she'd go buy day-old bread, put it in the freezer. And then it'd come time, we're running out of bread, go get another one. And I'd go out there at night. She'd send me out there, and I'd turn on the light in that shed. And everywhere, man, they're just, they're running for cover because the light exposed them. And when God's light shines on a lost man, the first thing he wants to do is hide. He wants to get away. You ever seen a bar with clear windows and bright lights? No, they paint those windows. They put boards on them. They don't want you to see in there, and they don't want anybody to see them. And you think you're hiding from God? You're dead. You're dead. You're dead. You're dead. And by the way, you can be dead in church. There are dead churches. There's churches full of dead people. They're dead preachers, just so you know I'm not picking on you. There are men standing in the pulpit, and they're dead. I thank God for verse 4. But God. You see, if you're dead, you're not responsive to God. And if you're alive, you will be. You will be. Somebody was reminding me yesterday... And, and it's just friendly. I, I, don't, I don't want to fuss anybody. I'm not fussing anybody. But, you know, people say, well, I don't like going to church. And I, 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 like, I worship God in the woods when I go hunting. Well, I know that's possible, but that's not why you went in the woods, was it? I mean, I enjoy God's creation. Don't get me wrong. My favorite place to be is all by myself, somewhere deep in the woods where you can't find me. I love that spot. And sometimes in there, I may commune with God, but it's more like, God, bring me a deer. (laughs) Help me to shoot straight. Please don't let me miss again. I mean, miss. (laughs) You know, my prayer is not for the loss of the world many times when I'm out there. And I know what we're saying, but my point is this. If you're one of God's children, you want to be with God's family. I'm not talking about church attendance. Oh, well, you should come to church. What I'm saying is, 
you're either dead or you're alive. You're radically lost, you're radically saved. You see, we try to get people to give 10% to God. Why is that a big deal? I mean, if I love God and I'm part of his family, shouldn't I want to give back to him what he's given to me? I don't know if, I don't know if y'all ever been to... When I was a kid, there was a big Sears store downtown Charleston, and my mom go to Sears. That, that was where she went to buy clothes and stuff. And they had this big candy counter. You ever been to one of those stores that had a candy counter? I mean, when I was a little kid, I thought the thing was like a mile long, but it just went around, and they had different bins of different kind of candy. And I like the little chocolate ones with the white, with the white sugar stuff, you know, non-parallels is what they're called. Or I don't know how to say that word, but those are good. That was a hint. No, uh, it's not. <laughs> so even as a diabetic, my mom would buy a bag of them for me, a few, not a lot, but a little bit. Because, you, 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 you know, you still get a treat occasionally. Can you imagine my mom buying me that bag and us getting in that car and her saying, can I have one, son? And I go, no, they're mine. What did I do to get them? Nothing. She bought them for me because she's my mom and she wanted to. So what has God given you? And he asked 10% back and you go, no, it's mine. You stingy little greedy brat. <laughs> God goes, oh, no, it's not. I'll take them all back. Right? They're his. He doesn't do that, but he could if he wanted to because it's his. He blesses us when we respond to him. And so a dead man will not respond to God in a positive way. And so we can have people in church. People come to church. Well, I don't want to pray. You don't want to even talk to your dad? You don't want to talk to the one who gave you life? You don't want to talk to your mom and your dad? The church and the father? What's the problem here? Well, I just, you know. Well, I... well it might be because you're radically lost. See, I don't, want, I don't want to play around with this. If I went to the doctor and I needed a diagnosis of cancer, I don't want him to go, well, listen, you've got a stomachache and you're going to feel bad for a while. But then you'll feel better because you'll be dead. <laughs> but he doesn't say you'll be dead. He just says you'll feel better later, like after you're dead. I want him to look at me and go, you got cancer so I can deal with it. And God wants you to deal with this condition. But I want you to check this out at verse 4. Only God can raise the dead. Amen? Yeah, listen, it's easier to have a baby than it is to raise the dead. And so in verse 4 it says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us. What does that remind you of? John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That word mercy there, he's rich in mercy. You know what mercy is? It's not getting what you did deserve. It's not being punished for the sin For which you should be punished. It's not dying and going to hell. Because that's what you deserved. But we live in a society today where everybody thinks they deserve something from someone else. And we think the same thing to God. Well God I put in my hour this week at church. So you need to bless me now. It don't work that way. So many times we get in trouble. We say God I promise if you do this I'll do that. God's going to do what God's going to do, and you need to bow before him in fear. You see, we've messed up. The reason you think that way is because we messed up how we do evangelism. Don't you want to be saved? Don't you want to, come to, don't you want to have eternal life? Listen, you ought to bow before the cross because he is God Almighty, and he put on flesh and died in 
your place. And you ought to come crawling up there like a beggar and saying, thank you that you would do that for me. This is about the glory of God, not about what he can do for me. It's about his glory and his will and his activity in the earth. And yet he says, but God, being rich in mercy because of the love by which he loves you, saved you, made you alive. Look at verse 5. You were dead, but God, being rich in mercy. Verse 5, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive. You see... If I walked up to my dad's coffin, and he wasn't my dad, and I said, Dad, I want to give you this watch. He can't respond. But if I have the power to say, get up, and life comes into his body. Now, number one, I'm probably not going to offer him my watch. I'm probably going to make a new back door. I'm out of there, all right? (laughs) Number one. But number two, if that were possible, now he's alive to respond. Good. Y'all, getting, y'all catching on when I pause. That's what you say, amen. Now he's alive and he can actually respond to what I'm saying. Verse 5, you were dead in trespasses and sin. You didn't care that God died for you. You did not even give a flip that Jesus put on flesh. You could not have cared any less that Jesus died on a cross for you. Because you're dead. You didn't even understand that. So he made you alive. So you could respond to his offer. That wasn't about you. That was about him. But I want you to see something really cool in verse 5. Notice what it says. When we respond, when he does this, in verse 5 it says, He made us alive together with Christ. When Jesus died on the cross, what happened next? What happened next? He was buried. Good job. Most people say he was raised. Now, first he was buried. That's important. You know why that's important? It proved he was dead. He stayed in the grave the Jewish amount of time to say, yep, he's dead. Because they didn't embalm like we do. And they would bury alive people. So they, that's why they didn't bury Lazarus until the fourth day. They wanted to make sure the spirit had departed. So they waited three days, buried him, and then Jesus showed up. Ruined the whole thing when Jesus showed up. So Jesus was dead, three days in a tomb, Jewish time limit. Yep, he's dead. Then he rose from the dead. It says he, we are raised with him. Now we say that, I look that word up. You ever seen those news reports? They're sad, heartbreaking, but then they can be joyous about conjoined twins. Many times they're, they're joined at the head, sometimes in the body. And sometimes those children surgically can be separated so they can live independent lives. Many times they have to live their life as conjoined twins. Now, I know those can be tragic stories. Again, I don't mean to bring everybody down. But guess what? Together with him is the word conjoined. I hope you get the impact. God raised You from the dead conjoined with Jesus. That's inseparable. You can't get away from him. He's the head, we're the body, conjoined together. Why would God want to be so identified with you? 
In John 15, we have the story of the vine and the branches. I don't know how carefully you've ever read that. It says the branch has to abide in the vine. If the branch is not abiding in the vine, it dies because it's separated from the source of that sap, that life-giving flow of the vine that produces fruit in the branch. You remember that? Did you notice what he said in the first verses? I am the vine, you're the branches, and my father is the husbandman, the gardener. And then later he says the husbandman comes along the gardener and he prunes branches that aren't producing fruit. And he cuts back even branches that do produce fruit so bear more fruit. Sometimes God's pruning hook is just so you'll be even better at producing fruit. So don't be scared of that. But then he says, but you're clean through the word that I've uh, spoken to you and that word... Clean and the word prune are the same word. In other words, we can prune ourselves if we'll listen to what God's word says and live the way he calls us to live. But here's the thing that you just missed, and I made sure you missed it. Jesus identifies with the branch, not with the gardener. He's the son of the gardener, and he chooses rather to be identified with the branch. So when the branch is pruned, when the branch is cut... The vine knows it and the vine feels it. The father is the gardener and he identifies with the branch instead of with the gardener. He doesn't sit back and say, well, dad and I have been talking and you branches better start producing some fruit. It breaks his heart when we as a church argue more about the color of the carpet, the style of furniture, the order of service. The the music style, the time the preacher preaches, than we do about whether or not we are actually effectively reaching people for Christ and doing what the head told us to do. The vine feels it. And when the Father has to come and prune us, the vine feels it. And he's there to send healing sap so that branch can be healed and produce even more fruit. He has made us alive together in Christ. He conjointly with him. And then, look in verse 5 still. Even when we're dead in trespasses, made us alive with Christ. By grace you've been saved. In verse 6, and raised us up with him. And seated us again with him in the heavenly places in Christ. So that in the coming ages, why would he do that? That's what we're going to see. Why would God do that? First of all, he wanted to show off. He wants to say, look what I can do. Look at verse 7. So that in the ages, coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Notice who it's in. It's always in Christ. Everything that you receive as a Christian is because of what Jesus did. You receive it through Christ. And, and it comes at the, for, for the glory of God through the power of Christ. He says we have received it in Christ. The, this immeasurable riches of his grace. We are trophies for God. He wants to show off. Look at that guy. He was going to hell. He was dead. He couldn't do anything. He, not he couldn't do anything right. He couldn't do anything. He was going to hell. He was hopeless. He was lost. His life was in shambles. I made him alive and saved him. I'd made him look like Jesus. He became productive. He became a great servant of mine. He became my son, my child. I adopted him. He's mine. I loved him. Look what I can do. The first reason God does it is so we'll show off. We'll be a show off for him. I don't know how many of you have had multiple children, but 
I know some people got some children they brag about, and some people got some children they don't talk about. I tell you, I came from a big family. I got cousins in jail, and I got cousins that put them in jail. Because I got cops and robbers all in the same family. William Jennings Bryan said, you look far enough back in my family tree, you might find somebody hung by their neck. You won't find anybody hung by their tail. <laughs> Amen. That means he didn't believe in evolution, by the way, in case you didn't miss, didn't miss that. And all of our families, man, there's some, there's some bad cases. God saved us for us to show off. Are you, are you one that, God, hey, I want you to see my son. Look at what, look what I did for him. Look what I could do for him. I turned the sinner into a saint. I turned a lost man to a saved man. I took somebody that, that was, was just tore up from the floor up, and I made him a giant for the gospel. Woo! Why would he want to identify with me so intimately, so closely, to show off, and so that I couldn't take credit? See, verse 8, for by grace are you saved through faith. And that's not your own doing, it's a gift of God. Even the grace, the faith you have is not yours because you were, you got it. You didn't have faith till God gave you faith. Let me, let me tell you something that was a shocking statement to me. You probably already know it, but let me say it anyway. We can't come in here and worship God without his help. That's how helpless we are. Apart from his grace in our life, we can't even give him a tenth of our offering, of our money. We can't give him a play. We can't give him a song. We can't offer a prayer. Everything we do that will matter in eternity is because he is doing it in us and through us by his power and by his grace and by his might. And it says, for by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourself. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any of you should boast about it. You see, he did it because he wanted to boast. And he don't want you to boast, so he picked the weak and the foolish and the dead to say, look what I can do. Can you imagine being at that tomb that day? When Jesus said, roll back the stone, they said, uh, Lord, he's been dead four days, he stinks. Roll back the stone. And then he says, Father, I'm, thank you, you hear me, but I know you always hear me. I'm just saying this so they all know it's your power that did this Lazarus come forth. Can you imagine being there that day? Number one, he said Lazarus, so everybody else didn't get up with him. <laughs> had to make sure who he's talking to. Lazarus come forth, and you know, they bound people up. And somehow Lazarus comes hopping out, you know. <laughs> he's all bound up, and he said, loose him, cut him loose. Take the clothes off. Can you imagine Lazarus, you know, they're cutting off that cloth, and he goes, Woo, you see what I did? I was dead in there, baby, and I got up. No, I don't know what Lazarus was thinking at that point. Because in my mind, Lazarus is in heaven having some fun. And all of a sudden, he heard Jesus go, come back. What? Really? I got to come back? No. Okay, if you want me to. And he came back. I think he woke up going, why, Lord? That was so cool. Why would you bring me back? By the way, you think I'm crazy? You read later in the same gospel, it says, many believe because of the testimony of Lazarus. Lazarus came back and told him what it was about how Jesus, what he could do. And guess what? You were that dead man in that tomb. Hopeless. Bound. No way. 
you started to stink. You had necrotized. And Jesus came in and said, Milton, come forth. Bobby, come forth. Stuart, come forth. Mike, come forth. John, come forth. Jim, come forth. And we heard the call because he made us alive to respond to him. Because now we can hear him. Now we can know him. And he did it also, not only to show off, not only so that we couldn't boast, but we'd have to boast in him. But he did it, so we'd have something to do. Look at verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. See, before he said good works won't save you. Now he says, but now that you're saved, I got some good works for you to do. Now when you do the things that God's called us to do, guess what? You got to say, nope, that's God. Nope, that's God. Nope, that's God, because you get it now. You knew you couldn't do it before because you were dead. Now you're alive, you know it's God doing it, and you will never take credit for that. You won't boast in yourself, and you will have something to do for God that he did for us, created in Christ for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. He's already got it planned out for you. Let me go to some practical steps for you so you can see what I'm talking about. First of all, Every person you know without Christ is totally, radically lost. And don't, don't comfort them into hell. Many churches are just a comfortable place to go to hell from. And I don't want Calvary to be that. I want Calvary to be uncomfortable to sinners and uncomfortable to backslidden saints. I pray God will comfort the afflicted and afflict the comforted. Amen. You need to tell them about Jesus. They don't need 10 steps to a better life. They don't need to live their best life now. They don't need 8 steps to a fulfilled marriage. They don't need, they need Jesus. And then he'll give them all that other stuff. Seek ye first the kingdom of God's righteousness. All the rest will be added later. You need God's righteousness in your life. You need Christ. And if you're sitting here today and you don't know Christ, it's not that you're a kind of good, bad person. You are totally, radically, hopelessly, helplessly lost. And if you understand that, it's because God is making you alive to understand that. And you better respond in this moment. That's the point. Number two, we need a purpose in our heart to allow God to show his workmanship through you this week. He saved you to show off. Not that you'd show off, but that he'd show off. And when somebody says, wow, you, you go, oh, listen, I, I can't do that. But let me tell you about God who raised me from the dead and gave me life so that he could live his life through me. Galatians 2.20 For I've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in this flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And if you're raised from the dead, you are raised in conjoint with Christ, and he so identifies with you. He's the head, we're the body. He is the vine, we are the branch. He is part and parcel with us. So what kind of body are we going to be? Are we going to be, you kids in the back seat, you better quit or I'll pull this car over. Some of y'all don't get that, because now you've got TVs in the back to entertain the kids. My daddy used to have to pull over. <laughs> what kind of kid are you? Thirdly, we are called by God to become his disciples to carry his message. 
You are called by God. You are saved. Called by Him to salvation. Called to be alive. Called to be saved. So you could become like Him. Become that disciple. And you could begin to carry that message to the world. You say, well, if they're dead and only God can make them alive, then why should we witness? I'll tell you why. Because God told you to. And God uses your witness to help. To He uses that to bring people to life. He, that's how He engineered it. I can, I can explain it fully. I just know that's what He told me to do. And here's the weird thing. When I witness, sometimes people get saved. Go figure. When you do what God told you to do, he does what he said he would do, and he gets the glory. Amen? So don't worry about the how, the where. Just do it. I mean, we need to have a little Nike in us, you know? Just do it. Just do it. And let him take care of the results, because that's what he's all about. That's why I say I'm an airborne Christian. I just witness to them all, let God sort it out. Airborne Ranger's motto is kill them all, let God sort it out. Mine is witness to them all. <laughs> let God sort it out. My job's not to get people saved. My job's to tell them about the Savior. My job's not to get them to heaven. My job's to tell them about heaven and about a hell that's real and a heaven that's real and that God wants them to go to heaven and not hell. And God will make alive those that need to be saved, will be saved. That's not my job. That's his job. But I want you to understand and appreciate what God did for you if you're saved here today. I mean, do you get it? Do you understand that you were lost in trespasses and sin and lost? It says you were dead. But now you're dead to that life. Because when he raised you to a new life, all those who are in Christ... Or a brand new creation. Old things pass away. All things become new. What I was in Adam has been put to death. Colossians 3.3. 3. And I put to death the things that remain in this earth. On this, in this body. And I've been made alive. And I seek him. I seek heavenly things where he's seated. Because I'm seated there with him. I've been given a place of honor and power. Because I'm so joined with Jesus. I'm already there. You know some people think you can be saved and then get lost again. Well, that would be radical surgery into the body of Christ, and he would have to die too. And he's not going to die again. I'm as saved. I'm in heaven already. I'm as saved as saved can get. I can't get any more saved than I am. And if you're saved, neither can you. And if you're lost, you need Jesus, period. End of story. We won't confuse it. 